What if business could be fun? This podcast is for people who no longer want work to be a four-letter word. It is a comedic look at the myths of work, life, and balance, where we expose the kind of thinking that sucks your will to live, and we replace it with powerful, easy-to-use tools so that you can shift gears and laugh about it all. The only requirement to listen is you need to be human. Hi. Hi. So So here we are. (laughs) So good to see you. We're doing our unpodcast. I know. I'm so happy. Still human after all these years. Yes, I'm happy to report that that's still the truth. I know. Still the truth. (laughs) What's your take on vulnerability? You, You were telling me about this article. Oh, right. There was this great article, and I highly recommend subscribing to Farnham Street. They're not paying us or anything, but they have great articles. Um, I think they call themselves a signal in a world of noise. But this article was about vulnerability, and a lot of people have heard the Brene Brown talk. Um, which is which is absolutely awesome. I mean, where Love her. For, like Brene Brown was kind of like, uh, don't have time for vulnerability. But then what she kind of learned and what I've learned over the years is that vulnerability actually makes you stronger because it takes more energy and more effort to hold up the wall of trying to appear perfect, mm. of trying to appear like nothing affects you. Not to mention how boring it is when you're doing that. Well, isn't Those that part of how you grew up? Totally. Totally. I mean, I come from an Irish background and, you know, not to put too sweeping a generalization out there, but at least in my family, if somebody did something good, you never told them about it. You talk about people behind their back. (laughs) And the only thing that you tell people that's good about them is how wrong they did something and that you've ruined it for life. So in, in my family, if you made a mistake, it was a lifetime mistake. Right. So there was no chance of ever curing that. So you kind of had to be perfect. Wow. And you had to know everything. So and actually, this is something that's known as fixed mindset, which is where you kind of label somebody and you say you are a good singer, which means that everything you do needs to be good. Right. Because you're a good singer. So I must always sound good. What labeling somebody like that does is it takes the learning. Right. Yeah. And the learning out of it. And the pressure. I think so many people feel, I know I have been dealing with my own vulnerability issues and I, you know, I work with my clients on that, on being authentic and real and, and sharing your, you know, your, you know, peeling back the cloak or Mm -hmm. behind the curtain. And this past week, I was having all kinds of vulnerability issues. I had to call Kathy to talk me off the ledge because, you know, it's like, I want to be real and but I also want to feel my most attractive on camera and it is weird getting older it is just weird yeah right well and we and we we we've we live longer than we ever used to and we now place it into we still place it into a category that has about maybe 60 years that it didn't have before because in the early 1900s we only right. lived to be about 47 or 48 so if you made it to retirement age that was nice you might have a few good years after that and that's right. it today we live so much longer and right. so we're still dealing with this old idea of what age even looks like right, right? and so now we um, have sexy grandmas exactly what? right and i just i just heard <laughs> term a brand new term and it's called middle essence so like adolescence didn't exist like 
until like maybe 50 or 60 years ago. Okay. When finally they realized that children are not little adults who should be working in factories. That (laughs) maybe they need, maybe there's a phase they go through that brings them into adulthood. Okay. So that's what adolescence is. And so then you study it, you look at it, and then you give people a fair shot to have a decent life. Right. And what they're saying now is that between the ages of 45 or 65, and I'm not saying where I fit in that, if I even fit in that category at all, it's middle essence and it's preparing you for the things that you're going to be doing later on in your life. Wow. Yeah. So so kind of coming up with that, because coming back to the whole idea of feeling old and all of that, I'm going to confess that when Elaine called me, when you called me, um, I had also had a reaction to seeing some pictures of myself, which was (laughs) pretty much like, oh, my God, I look like a barrel. And um, (laughs) oh, my God, I miss my waist. (laughs) Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I miss my waist. And and the th- so and that's also remember, this is called still human for a reason, because what we're doing is talking about these things that happen in our lives. And we're talking about how we process them or knowing that there are ways to even process them to talk about them so we can let them go and just continue to live. Right. Otherwise, something like that would trip me up. Right. You know, right. there's a time in my life where if if I thought I looked like that, I wouldn't leave the house or I do something to I, I, I well, I'd probably eat. Right. I would probably solve the problem of looking like a barrel by contributing to being more of a barrel. barrel. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. You know, I mean, I know there were times when I was working on different projects and people would be like, well, Elaine, we need you to look at your footage. And I'd be like, OK, yeah. And then I never would. And I would hold up whole teams of people because I could not look at myself. Right. And I I really had to work on that. And I work on that with my clients. And clearly, you know, I had to do some work this week about like, <laughs> you know, learning, you know, what can you grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. So, and you... Tell me more about that vulnerability article. Do you remember? Yeah, you, it was so I mean, good. Well, the, the thing that they were talking about. So and we know these phrases because we were talking about them earlier that, right. you know, when you're able to say things to someone like I made a mistake. I am sorry I caused you harm. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Right. When you're able I cried. To- <laughs> I cried a lot. We laughed. We cried. It became a part of us. But when we're able to say those things, you open up space for other people to be able to say me, me too. <sighs> you know, that is the same for me. You know, and and I know that growing up, I was not allowed to be human because no one yeah. really knew what that was. I think some of it just even has to do with our evolution as a, as a species. Right. Because, you know, I grew up with depression error. Um, energy. It's just like, you never know when the next, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you don't have any luxuries, you know, and we live in a world today where we have many more luxuries. We have the luxury of time. Well, some of us do, not all of us do. (laughs) What I mean by that is that, that we, that, that, that work now doesn't have to just be someone's got to work because there's no money. All the banks are closed or whatever. Right. Like, or like in the old days, you had to work all day on the farm in order to make the food. And then it took hours to make the food and clean up. Like they we, they didn't right. have And it was a for, life. But right. that was a whole life. And then the Industrial Revolution came in and said, all right, you're going to just do the udders. 
all right? <laughs> and you're just going to do this. And then and then it's not part of a life. It's it's little bits and pieces of something that have no purpose. Mm. And, um, and so what we created over the years were people who work in assembly lines who don't feel a sense of purpose because they don't see what, what they're doing and how what they're doing is contributing right. to something else. They're not connected. And also the way that we kind of, as a society don't understand the level of skill it takes to do things. You know, so many of the apps you have today, uh, it's like, I'm going to become a person who sells all my clothes, you know? And no, I'm not. You have to pack your clothes. You have to price your clothes. You have to make a, you know, it's, but there's the, there's this lure that you can just do it yourself. You don't have to hire anybody else, you know? Right. And it's like, you know, being able to say, you have mad skills in that area. I'm hiring you to to do this thing. Um, and that speaks back into sort of vulnerability of just sort of saying, I don't know everything yeah. or even a lot of things, it's but so, it's not bad. It's so freeing. But I, I mean, I feel like I grew up in, you know, a very dysfunctional family. And so, but lots of good things came out of it, like learning how to read the room. You know, yes. I, can, I can walk in and I can sense what's going on energetically with people. And it's so intuitive. It's so automatic for me. And I can kind of pull myself back or, you know, meet the energy where people are. And I really get that that's such a gift. However, it was not safe to be vulnerable in my family. No. Which, and I you know and I want to ask a question, which is. I've heard the term dysfunctional family. Would you say a little something about what that meant in your life? In my life. Yeah, I, I do think that's one of those phrases that's sort of tossed around a lot. And I'm certainly, although I've been doing transformational work for 20 years and tons and tons of workshops and coaching and things. But for me, there was physical, verbal mental abuse. There were several people in my family who were struggling with um, opioids alcoholism, probably undiagnosed bipolar. Um, we had somebody who went to prison. <laughs> we had, we've had quite a few um, suicides by shotgun, which is very typical in Texas, um, especially for older men. They start to lose it and they just go in the backyard yeah. or on the front porch. Unfortunately, that's really common, but nobody talks about it. But um so, yeah, so I had the experience of, uh, you know, and I know that all three of my parents were doing the best job they could, but it was kind of crazy. And so um, there was it was not safe to be vulnerable. And so I find it fascinating that I am so vulnerable now. I mean, as a <laughs> as a comedian, I'm constantly making fun of myself and my frailties and my mistakes and and my wacky thinking. And and also I've had the benefit of lots of therapy. So I have learned, you know, I've sort of trained myself to be vulnerable and I still have moments, you know, I'm human. So right. it's it's interesting. But um yeah, I mean, I think there's different levels of dysfunction. And what's cool, I mean, in the 12-step world, I went to a different meeting on Saturday that I, I haven't been to much. And I think there are like 120 different 12-step programs wow. out there. And even if there's not like a physical meeting in somebody's where they live, there's like telephone and online. I mean, that's that's miraculous. And it's not a perfect program because it's human. <laughs> It's true. You know, and so take what you need and leave the rest, right? right. And um, I mean, I have to say, I was I was listening to this guy and he was going on and on. A part of me is like, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> Shoot me. 
And then, luckily, somebody that I knew and how I really respect his program, he shared. And I was like, okay, if you get one thing, then it was worth your time, you know? Yeah, it's such a life lesson, so. like a microcosm of, of life. And just, you know, the idea of, I love that that saying of take what you need and leave, leave the, the rest. rest. It's like oh people God. listening to this podcast, you might get to a certain point and say, wow, I really identify with what these people are saying. And so you're going to want to listen more. But someone else might be like, what? I don't get it. That's why there are 120 different AA types of meetings. Right. That's why there are self-help books, entire walls in places of self-help books and diets, all the different diets you can go on because we are all- That's a dirty so word. Good. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Food plan. <laughs> I don't know. What would you call it? But uh, but the, I say that there are all those things out there because we are really individual. And I've said this before, the idea of us being complex. Right. We're not complicated. If we were complicated, I could just fix your ear and this would be all right. So if you were feeling depressed and you were complicated, there would be something in there that was completely and directly linked to your depression. Um, and it would also be the same for every other human being. But that's not how it is, right? There are so many contributing factors, right, to, to what to what that is. So that's the other reason why there's so much out there. So take advantage of right. what's out there. Well, and I always say, I feel like all roads lead to the lead to the same goal, right? To yeah. be happy, joyous, and free. To feel comfortable in your own skin. To feel like you have some control over your life and that you're making a difference with your life to love and be loved. I mean, at the end of the day, I think we are, you know, our vote is that we have a lot more in common than we do different. We really do. Um, seen a lot of, uh, you know, examples of that. And, and by, by opening yourself up to being more vulnerable and, and the sense is, it's really just to sort of say, like, I used to sit with staff. I'd have one-on-one -on -one meetings. And, and people would say, well, they. And I said, you're looking at her. They. When you talk about they in this organization, I'm they. I am a person. So when we have those conversations, well, they're doing this now. And then oh, they're they, doing right. that. They. Well, we know what they looks like if we're willing to just take a look and say, that's they. And so I would just say, you're looking at they. Do you really think I sit around and have time to make up stupid things for you to do? You know, it's it's and I, and I don't mean that wasn't the only conversation. Like, but, but the idea was that to say, no, there are human beings involved and we forget that. Right. Right. You we know? totally do every day and work. Exactly. So, um, Kathy, will you you know, one of the things I love about you is you say some of the things I've only thought. Oh. And that to me is part of being, that's part of being humorous um, comedian. You know, sometimes you just speak the truth and that's funny. Sometimes you have a take on the truth. So you, you know, you've done, um, you did this thing when you talk about going to see, you know, modern music. Oh. <laughs> and because I do yeah. love, I do love music and I yeah. play classical and I say musical theater and a little bit of opera and whatever, but I, I've never really, there's some of the more modern things I've never quite gotten. And then you, um, you know, gave me this fabulous example. Will you share that with us, please? I will. You know, I believe you were talking about bleep fart music. <laughs> um, it's a genre. I don't know how many people are familiar with it, but here's the thing. I've seen and heard a lot of times the more modern sounds, if you see how they're being created, 
it makes it a lot more interesting. So if someone says, you know what, I'm going to go buy a recording of modern music uh, or, you know, contemporary music or something, don't do that because there's nothing to hear. A lot of it is in the making of the music. But um, there's this woman named Anna Russell who was just so funny. She used to do these fake recitals all over the country. And... um, and so she would just make up these these arias that were just hilarious. But so Doug and I, my husband, you know, we'd go and we'd hear something and we'd be like, that's bleep fart music. And it's basically like this because you can make fun of it. My heart is red. You know, and... <laughs> What is that? You know, and and the thing is, because I want to be I want to be a little bit careful, too, because I don't want to just put down something because, you know, there are certain things that are like easy to make fun of. You know, we were talking about Hemingway, how the way he wrote was in these short phrases that made him ridiculously easy to make fun of. And it is kind of funny. But sometimes people are trying too hard. They're copying and they're doing something. And so something sounds like a caricature of what it really is. Right. And one time I was singing a piece, very, very modern, where I was singing the piece in one key and the piano was in a different key. Oh, God. And the composer said to me, don't worry, Kath, no one knows how it's supposed to sound anyway. <laughs> you know, and so then, you know, is that the joke? Is that the experiment? You know, I don't know. But. I don't know. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And so back to vulnerability again. So you talked, you also mentioned how improv helped you lighten up and lose your preciousness. Oh my God. So do you think that doing improv helped you with your vulnerability? Improv helped me because it was the exact opposite of how I lived my life. I planned, I used to plan everything. I want to know how things go. I wanted, I couldn't even take a vacation because I had to know what the weather was going to be like. So I'd give a few years where it's like, it looks like the weather pattern holds up like around these two weeks. It was ridiculous. Oh my God. I knew that you were into the weather channel. I had no idea. Total weather maven. Anyway. um, (laughs) But yeah, the whole idea, what improv did was it taught me how to live without a script. And it taught me to not be so precious about the rare times I was performing when I was younger, right? So if I were doing something and, you know, I was going to be on the stage, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now because I'm in a play, you know, and improv, <laughs> improv is sort of like, we have a gig, it's here, meet us there. It's at 10 p.m., it's at 11 p.m., it's at 1 p.m. You have these sh- uh, you have these shows at uh, 1 a.m. You know, you have all these late shows and you've got to just show up and produce. You know, you can't just be if you have a bad night in improv, you suck. Like to the audience in that room, you are the worst performer ever. You know, and that is a really helpful and instructive situation to be in mm. and to know that life still goes on. It's right. like, yeah. These people probably not going to come back and ask for me, but I learned something here. You learned something, yeah, right? and it helps you let go. Some stuff. Yeah, I think that's one reason I I love comedy so much because yeah. I was, you know, I was studying at the neighborhood playhouse and I had done all this training, but I was still there was a preciousness about it too because I I loved it so much I was too close to it, and there's nothing like getting on stage and getting on stage and getting on stage and eating it sometimes and. You know, but it really helped me like loosen up. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, because when you've had a moment on stage, let's say you're playing on stage with improv and you know, at one point, this one of the troops I was with, they were they could get pretty hardcore and just try to mess with you on stage. Ooh. And so at one point they came on and they just started speaking in a gibberish. And so that meant the whole scene fell to me. Oh, God. And it was not a good night for me. And so it was so hard because instead of being able to come up with something, I froze, you know, and you don't forget nights like that. Oh, but man. you also survive nights like that. Right. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, life goes sweat. in, Woo! right? Like, <laughs> and that that makes me think of. So one night I was in Portland, Maine, and I had opened the show, and I was waiting to come back on stage to close the show as emceeing, and and I, you know, normally I'm like, you know, kind of. I mean, every club is different, and for some reason I was like in the audience, and I. I had missed, I thought that the closer, the headliner was wrapping up. And so I was like standing in the audience for a while and, and I could just feel being right in the audience. The energy, the vibration was so high and it felt like love. It felt like God. Mm. It felt like, and I thought, and I just had this moment of like, oh my God, like I started off the show and everyone's like, in their own world of like, how much is parking? Am I going to get laid? Where's the chicken? I'm hungry. I need a drink. How much is, you know, like everyone's like in their own thing. And, and then they come together in this dark place, sitting close together, laughing at the insanity of being human and dealing with the modern world and whatever. And they become like a community. And, I don't know. I just will never forget. I was, you know, I was still kind of new doing comedy. It was just like this moment of like, oh my God, this is love. Like, this is why I do this work. Mm-hmm. And it, it was so bonding. And it and it was, I, you know, laughing at vulnerabilities and laughing right. at, at, at humanity and doing it together. It was such a beautiful thing. And I, anyway, just when I have um, a bad set, I try to remember that moment because it was such a cool moment yeah, you know that's cathartic and i i think you know the whole idea of the when we sh- when we share the vulnerabilities so when i say you know what i'm not really sure what to do i need some help with this oftentimes you come up with a much better solution than if you tried to figure it out yourself oh god you know when always. you start to and the, the amount of energy it takes to hold up those walls is really extraordinary really extraordinary and we don't you know our energy is precious we want to use it in the right ways i love you know, that I, I saw yeah. um i saw west side story last night this new version of it and it was a very similar thing of being taken on this journey and you're in the room with all of these people mm. and you're just going through these, the highs and the lows. When you're and the, a jet, you're a jet all the way. Yeah. All and the music. Stuff. I mean, the uh. music is just glorious. And I loved everything about this production. And it was that same thing of those moments, the, the beauty of art, the beauty of those moments where we really, or we're telling a joke and everybody's laughing together. We need that kind of contact. We don't need it 100% of the time right it's just it's something that's important for us humans to have and it makes a big difference i just think that's so powerful i love that that. and i love what you said about the energy it takes to hold up the facade um i remember when i first did the landmark forum and i was like oh you mean it's okay to say i don't know Mm. wow that's that's allowed like i just 
you know, that was mind blowing to me. And I, I, then I continued after I did a lot of stuff with landmark education, I worked with Debbie Ford and she would talk about how so much of her work was about integrating the the shadow side, mm. you know, the parts of yourself that you don't like. Yeah. Like, ooh, sometimes I can be a bitch. Ah! Sometimes <laughs> I feel fat and frumpy and frizzy. Ah! Like, we all have these parts of our personalities and our hu- humanists that we were trying to not let other people see. And she would say, it's like a beach ball you're oh. trying to hold underwater and how much energy it takes. Cause you're like, oh, no one can see this part of me. And then it pops out, which is passive aggressive, which we were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah. Instead of, you know, and, and I, growing up in the South, trying to be, you know, perfect and kind and nice and I wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to be angry I wasn't allowed yeah. to express anger or passion I was always like shh take it down a notch Elaine you're too much you know right and and so doing the Debbie Ford work I found so freeing and I'll never forget she was like well you know will you give me a testimonial because for a while I, I was really tight with her um, and I was like well Debbie Ford helped me embrace my inner bitch <laughs> But it's true. Like, if you can really, if you can integrate those things, and that takes work and it's a whole process, but you can see that sometimes it's absolutely appropriate to be a bitch or forceful or whatever you want to call it in certain aspects. But when you do the work, you have a choice whether you're going to choose that aspect of yourself or you're just trying to like run from it and then it zaps out. And so. that might be a, you know, a, a sort of a, a challenge or something to put out there for people who are listening. Where are those, inst- what are the parts of your life that you feel like are that beach ball that you're trying to hold underwater? Yeah. You know, just kind of be a social scientist and, and observe that. Where is it that you're really trying to hold that stuff down? And what would happen if you were to release it? Yeah. And I think the thing you were talking about earlier, Elaine, about reading the room, there is an element to that. You know, so it can be fun to talk about these things and say, yeah, you know, just let it out. Be vulnerable. But read the room. Right. You know, (laughs) you don't just go to like the next person and share. So it is very important to also when that moment comes that, you know, that you think about who you want to be vulnerable with. No, you want to share. That's a great point. In fact, that's that was the other point I had about our vulnerability points that we were talking about. I had a point about the points, you know, with the points Um, about what's your point. Right. (laughs) I'm I'm getting to it. Shit. Sorry, no. Um, talking about how, yes, vulnerability is awesome. It's kind of a new, it's been, a, you know, kind of a cool phrase or whatever. But there is a time and a place. Right. And that we've all been on the receiving end when somebody we didn't know very well walked in and just dropped a big turd in the <laughs> space, right? So, you know, you want to be appropriate, And if you really need to go confess, go find a bartender, go find a priest, whatever. But like you want to be, you know, appropriate in your in your vulnerability moments and and not use it to hold people emotionally hostage. Right. right? It's it's sort of like um, I always tell people to avoid the dry wells. You know, if you're going somewhere and you need a drink of water, don't go to a dry well. You know, who are the people in your life who are not dry wells? Who are the people who can hear what you have to say and allow you to say oh, it? Oh, that's you know, so, so just great. kind of understanding what that is, because, again, that's that's the power of it. You know, and then also to allow yourself to sort of say, oops, that was a little bit of an overshare. 
That's right. okay. Oh, it's all right. I've done that you know? a lot. Yeah. But I, I love that the dry wells, like I, <laughs> I've trained myself that, you know, Elaine, if you're in a funky place emotionally, maybe you should call somebody who you love in recovery, maybe not people from your family so much, <laughs> right? Or, or you know, the, the tough business yeah. coach kind of people. Like, there's just certain people that maybe they're not going to be the most right. compassionate, right? And, right. you know, and I used to always reach for the non-available people. That right. used to be my specialty, And then too. you get, but you get better at it, right? Yeah. Over the years, you could just get better at saying, yeah, that probably isn't the person I want to talk to. Right. And so part of that is just making those little, making those mistakes and then bouncing back from them and knowing that we're all doing that. That that's that that's what it looks like. Yeah, we know? learn from it. Like they say in AA, they say don't go to the hardware store for orange juice. <laughs> and there you have it. Although these days, <laughs> they probably have it at Home Depot. Let me check because I was just there this week. Um, well, I think you know years ago, I think I predicted the big box stores. We had this friend, and we we decided to create a, a, a store for him, and we called it Pete's Bank Pancake House and Chainsaw Outlet, and we thought that. <laughs> That was just hilarious because this is back in like the 1970s like breakfast bank and buzz at pete's bank pancake house and chainsaw outlet and now <laughs> isn't that a big box store like isn't that isn't that what they are now right oh my god that's so, hilarious that's like a tongue twister what you just created but we spent a lot of time on it when i was younger so it's a big topic and i think that the thing is is that when you think about yourself as, I sometimes will think of myself as a social scientist observing something. It's one of the ways that I can move out of being super emotional about something because I'm not, that doesn't go away. You know, I think there was a part of me that thought that as I grew older, as I hopefully grow wiser, <laughs> you know, I thought it was like this trajectory. It's just this nice line that goes up. And instead it looks like, you know, it's just what it, what She's it looks drawing like. a crazy line. I'm drawing a crazy line. Well, actually, I was just vocalizing a crazy line. You were doing bleep fart music again, I was doing you? bleep fart music I knew it. Again. Thank you. That is called Untitled. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing about that is that our lives are like that. And so some of the habits that we have that we create, like whether it's, you know, expressing gratitude, whether it's meditating, whether it's just taking a deep breath. Yoga. Yoga. What, and, you know, you guys could name a bunch of things. Those are the stabilizing rituals that we have that help us uh, as we kind of move our way oh, through Kathy, life. Oh, Kathy, and know? I love what you just said, how you thought that at a certain time you would have gotten through being, quote, emotional. Yeah. And I... That's so helpful because good news, bad news, right? Because I, I mean, I feel like the, that's one of the challenges. Is there's a part of me that feels like I should feel like I have arrived, yeah, somehow, or that I should feel confident and totally in my body now, or that I should have my, um, you know, how I I should be at peace with how I look now. People go, oh yeah, isn't it great? Once you hit fifty, you don't care. I'm like. I still care. I, uh, I'm, yeah. Call me vain, whatever. I still care right. a lot. Right. I, I, I'm not free. Right. I mean, I want to be free. I preach freedom. I'm working on it. But there are days I'm not free. <laughs> it's true, and I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with no, you. No, it's okay. I, I am I laughing with you. I am laughing with no, you. I get it. To, to I get the, it. Uh, but it, um, you're right. It's um, or that's I just think that's an important point for people who are listening um, that, you know, we're both accomplished 
coaches. We both um, have spoken and coached all over the place. Yeah. And we still have everywhere. Like you can't even imagine, but you're right. (laughs) The, The idea is I still get to live a life. Everything isn't undone. You know, if you have a moment where that happens, it's not all over with. It's a moment. Mm. You know, it's a moment. I think I it's meant- a picture. It's, it's a video, right? Like it's a video. I, you know, my ego was getting so caught up in like what I wore and what I looked and how I, you know, I didn't all that stuff. And it's like Elaine. It's it's like it's one more credit. Yeah. Next. Next. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so so it happens. You think about it. You develop a process for it, which is usually simple, like looking at it, calling up a friend like we chatted where we had our little moment from our pictures. And um, and then guess what? It's gone. It's gone. And you move on. And, that's, and you're at the next And thing. that's freedom. And that's what I think we all want. So if people want to know more about you and how some of your fabulous processes, how do they find you? Oh, my gosh. KathyKeegan.com. So easy. Kathy with a K. And, and then Keegan. Keegan. K-E-E-G-A-N. Very good. How about you? Well, they can come to Captivate the Crowd. That's with C's. CaptivateTheCrowd.com. I am so excited. We have finally finished the latest version of my website challenge. Yes, put it there. Thanks so much, Kathy. Oh, thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Yay, you made it to the end. Thank you so much for listening. We're so excited you were here. Feel free to reach out at stillhumanpodcast at gmail.com or Kathy at kathykeegan.com or Elaine at captivatethecrowd.com. See you next time.